You're going to remember this every day for the rest of your life. If you want to get to a goal, if you want to get to your dream, you got to focus on all the little steps. You have to put in your time. You have to be patient and you have to enjoy the process. Whatever you're doing now, whatever you want to be great at, whatever you want to be special at, I'm sure you you maybe already be good at it, but to be extraordinary, you have to do extra. I firmly believe that we are all here for a very specific reason to do something truly extraordinary. But what are you going to do to get there? Listen up all my little Magnamethod maniacs across the globe. You're now plugged into the Magnamethod. Let me tell you something, brother. <laughs> all right, well, that's, that's all I got. Hey, look, thanks again for tuning in to the Magnum Method. Today, we have a world-renowned strength coach on the show. He's a competitive powerlifter. He actually won a world championship in powerlifting. He runs his own facility in Columbus, Ohio, working with athletes of all ages, and he's creating an amazing movement with the RPR system. Ladies and gentlemen, JL Holdsworth. Listen, if you're tuning in to hear successful people talk about how awesome they are and that you can be successful too if you just buy a book and take heed to my words, then you're in the wrong place. This conversation between Mark and JL is the true definition of the Magnum Method. These two strength coaches talk very little about their success as a strength coach and more about people. Why people are more important than any system designed to improve anything strength related. So pay attention. And did you know that No Foods has no better chocolate chips? My wife and I order some because we like to make our own pancakes. And bruh, that's all I'm gonna say. NoFoods.com, put in Magneton discount code for 10% off and get after it. Matter of fact, I need to get some more No Better Pancake Mix right now. So let's get this podcast started and I'ma head over to NoFoods.com and get my pancake mix. So without further ado, Here's the Magna Method podcast featuring the one and only J.L. Holdsworth. J.L., welcome to the show, man. Thanks for being on. Mark, thanks for having me, brother. It's uh, my pleasure to be here with you. Um, so uh, for, the, for our listeners, um, J.L. Uh, is a gentleman that I met. Um, I think I can call him a friend now. Uh, we're growing a friendship. Uh, he's a good person great energy, extremely knowledgeable, and uh, a well-known coach in, in the industry. Athlete, now coach, um, still trains. So, J.L., we met at the Elite FTS, right? Yeah, at the Business Summit uh, last fall. And J.L. gave an amazing speech. I really appreciated it. And uh, after all the speakers went out, the, well, the night before we went out, and then I think you said it, the night before <laughs> we were sitting down and at one point in the conversation, do you remember what you said? Yeah. I said, I wouldn't have liked you if I'd have met you a couple of years ago. <laughs> and I, and I laughed and I said, um, I, I don't know. And that might be a good thing or a bad thing. So yeah, it, it's a great thing. And that's, uh, I think, you know, that that's, I think the basis for all friendships, right? You gotta absolutely. be honest. Oh, absolutely. Honesty is everything. And, you know, since then he's been, uh, I know Jay, I don't know if, I don't believe he'd say this, so I'm going to say it for him. He's a really smart guy, tons of knowledge, tons of experience, and I've used him as a resource uh, since I've known him uh, a ton, and he's always been there to give me uh, some input and some advice, and so thank you for that, Jay. I really appreciate it. No, thanks. I, I appreciate it. And I think it's, you know, as we get into things, I think it'll, it'll become obvious to people why, uh, why I wouldn't have liked you a few years ago, because obviously as a person I've, I've changed over the last couple of years. Oh yeah. 
and uh and that's a part of our journey absolutely and by by the way the to the listeners magnum method listeners there's a site called elite fts and i'm sure most of my listeners know it it's an equipment site but they also have it's a blog site they have a lot of articles a lot of content uh, run by dave tate and that site was a great resource for more, for me as long uh, as well as west side for many many years i've read all the west side articles a few times over it's great great knowledge so if you haven't checked it out please check it out but there are several coaches that used to post their workout journals right jail yeah so i started writing for elite fts you know i was my background a little bit. I was a strength coach at the University of Kentucky. I did my first powerlifting meet and I totaled 2160 in my first meet. I beat everybody in my weight class at Westside and Louie invited me to come to Westside and train. And so went up there and Dave Tate, you know, was one of my training partners and Chuck Vogelpohl. And it was, it was a really good time. Wendler, we were, it was a really good time there and learned a lot and, and had a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, Dave, asked me i started posting my my workout logs. so i started writing for elite back in i think 2002 or 2003 so i've been right. writing for elite for quite some time and t- tell me what it's like what, what what are you doing before you get invited to train at west side honestly you know i was my whole goal was to be a strength conditioning coach at the collegiate or professional level uh, and then i was you know lucky enough to to get a job at the university of kentucky and then while i was there it was interesting. I came for my interview and Jim Wendler was on the platform or he was you know, squatting with some chains or bands. And I was on the Olympic platforms doing weightlifting mm-hmm. and I went over it, didn't know what they were doing and asked him. And that's when he told me about elite FTS and Westside barbell and the conjugate system. And honestly, that, that was a moment that, that changed my life. Cause I wasn't that good at weightlifting, but, uh, I, you know, I said, I'm going to give this powerlifting thing a try. And, you know, in my first meet, I squatted, I think, I think I squatted about 800 in my first meet or so seven high sevens. That's incredible. I ben- incredible. I benched, I bench pressed, uh, six, 40 i think in my first meet and then uh and then i deadlifted i think 705 or something something somewhere around there it was i squatted high sevens benched uh low sixes and then pulled low sevens in my first meet so that's sick uh, incredible man have you always been really strong jail really yeah yeah i mean i was i was always one of the strongest guys on the team uh my the bench press was always really my specialty in in college you know not not a strict bench press that would count in the meat but i bench press 535 as a 21 year old kid so uh i mean that wasn't you know obviously wouldn't count in the meat but so bench press was always was always the thing that i was best at i mean eventually you know i had the highest bench press at west side i had 775 bench press and um, I was, you know, was, was myself and another guy, Paul Key. We were fighting to be the first guy at Westside to bench 800. So uh, bench press was always something that, that came pretty easy to me. Oh my God, that's ridiculous, man! And what's the environment like when you, once you uh, you get to Westside? Are you a little bit nervous? Yeah, I definitely. You know, I was nervous. I mean, one of the things that I think really helped me at Westside was I wasn't a person who I wasn't a power lifter or somebody who really came from from knowing what things were supposed to be so when I got there you know I didn't you know, good or bad I didn't have 
probably as much reverence for things or, mm-hmm. or respect for things as I probably should have. Mm-hmm. So to me, it was, okay, I'm going to beat all you guys. And, you know, that was kind of how it went. So I told 21 in my first meet, then 22, 23. I told 24, 36, which was the fourth highest total in the world all time. And, you know, I was, I, I, I mean, that was just one of the things. And it's interesting looking back, you know, I never really appreciated what was happening and, and what I was doing at the time. I was just trying to be stronger than everyone. So right. it's, it, it's, you know, I, you know, there's a documentary just got released last week and uh, I've, I was actually on vacation, so I haven't had a chance to watch it, but I've heard a lot from a lot of people. And one of the big things was, you know, that environment, you know, it really was iron sharpens iron. I mean, mm-hmm. there wasn't a person in there who wouldn't die to, to beat someone else in a max effort lift. And I think, you know, the first thing that I learned in that gym, Dave Tate told me, he said, West Side Barbell isn't about the walls. It's not about the equipment. It's about the people inside these walls. And, you know, every day you were in there, someone was trying to beat you at something. And so that that type of pressure, you know, it, it, it definitely yields some some great things. Mm, that's crazy. And I can't wait to see that documentary. Where can I see that documentary? Uh, I know that it's, it's been released to a lot of independent um, independent theaters, and I know that uh, it's the West Side Films. I think you can order it online as well. So, um, but it's it's gonna. I've definitely heard great things from a lot of people on it. I can think of a few people listening who are going to get that immediately. They're obsessed with the West Side culture and just trying to do their best. And every single time they get out there and train, and uh, they they don't know the inside of the gym. They know nothing about it. They just know what they read and what they study and what they hear. And it's amazing that to be that far removed and have that much effect on others, that speaks volumes for that brand and, and who Louie is. Well, I think, you know, it's funny. When I when I was there and and – you know, those things we thought about, it was never thinking about a brand or right. I think all those words, those words aren't even in our vocabulary right. when we were there, you know, it's, and I think probably if you talk to Louie, he probably wouldn't know what a brand is, you know, right. for him, it's just trying to make the strongest people in the world. And right. it's interesting whenever I think you try to be the best at something in the world, I think that people are going to gravitate towards that because, you know, the sacrifice and the dedication that that takes is not something that a lot of people are willing to, to put into their lives. You're right. It's not common, and most people don't understand that. And most people, it, it's okay. That doesn't mean they're bad people. It's just they're not willing to do those uh, crazy feats, sacrifices, and make those major commitments. And they just, they won't understand that. But they'll appreciate the the supernatural, if you will, because that's what it is to them. Because it's such a huge, uh, I guess, achievement just to be at that level. Well, I think, you know, I mean, I moved, I, I quit a job that was a, a good job you know, working for the University of Kentucky to move to Columbus, Ohio. And, you know, when I, in the position I had, I wasn't making very much money. And I moved to Columbus, Ohio. Everything I had was, was in a two-door Grand Dam. And, you know, I had $300 to my name. And, you know, I slept, one of the guys at Westside let me sleep on his couch for for enough time until I could get some money together and, and get an apartment with some other people. And, you know, doing those types of things and, and eating, sleeping, breathing, training. I mean, for me, I got a job that in a hundred percent, that job was built around. This is the time when I train and I can't work during these times. Mm-hmm. So it limits every part of your life because everything revolves around training. I can remember, 
you know, my, it was my girlfriend's birthday, but it was, it was bench shirt day. So, you know, for me, it's like, Hey, it's bench shirt day. And so, you know, it's, she's like, sorry, we'll do it again. We'll do it tomorrow. Is that what it was? Yeah, it was. Yeah. We'll celebrate tomorrow. Right. And so, you know, for me at that point in my life, it's definitely not where I am now, but it was, it was everything. And I think that, you know, there's pros and cons to that. I think if you want to be the best in the world, you, you have to have that kind of sacrifice. But again, it's not good or bad per se. It's just a choice that you have to consciously make. Right. That's a very good point. Um, you know, I, I never think that, you know, someone's bad if they're not willing to commit like that. But I always hear this, you know, it's important, Mark, to have balance. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that statement. I think there's a lot of power and uh, truth to that statement. But when you want to be really extraordinary at something and be special and be the best of the best, I'm not so sure that that statement applies. What do you think? I, I agree 100%. I think it's interesting. People who have already reached a level, it, you hear that from people who are already successful. And so, you know, they've gotten there by being totally unbalanced. Right. And then once they get there, then they can coast and be balanced. And when anybody's coming up, it's impossible. Whether, you know, obviously, you know, I run the Spot Athletics, we have two 20,000 square foot private training facilities. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's it's when we first started, it was, it was, I was painting walls, I was changing trash, it was a hundred hour week every week, you know, and to, to build something, whether it's a business or it's a total in powerlifting or whatever it is, there's no way you can be balanced when you're trying to start those things. Right. Maybe once, once you get to a certain level and, and you can coast a little and, and you're not building something, then maybe you can worry about balance. But to me, no, I've never met one person who's gotten to a successful level by being balanced. It's impossible because you, what balance means is your average in everything. So by definition, you can't be extraordinary in anything. Mm, that's very powerful. We're going to have to put that in the, uh, in the trailer there, man. That was very powerful. I mean, and another thing, like I, I saw the Tom Brady documentary recently. Did you watch that on Facebook by any chance? I did not. It, and there's a piece of it. He says, I'm going to be completely honest and this might not come out the right way, but football is before my wife and kids. And he said, if of course they needed something, uh, they were in dire need, of course we take care of it. But my wife knows that I have to spend X amount of hours playing football and I don't uh, modify my schedule around football. You know, excuse me, around my family. It's around football rather. So the point is that a guy like Tom Brady, Michael Jordan, was his wife would call up and say, is Michael still there? And he's been shooting jump shots for three, four hours after practice. I I don't think people see those things. They see a six foot six, 200 pound, uh, pure guard, Michael Jordan. And they realize that, oh, he's God given. They don't understand how much time has gone into what he does to make a guy who's genetically blessed to actually be the best in performance. Cause there's a big difference. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I'm, I'm, I've said this, you know, several times to people. And, you know, at this point in my life, I've, you know, I've got no ACL in my left knee. I've had a bunch of surgeries in it, you know, so squatting to parallel with heavy weights isn't really an option for me anymore. And, and I've said this before, I, I, you know, and there's very few people on the planet that understand this and, and probably most of them I trained with at Westside, but the greatest feeling in the world is standing up with a weight on your back. You've never stood up with before. And for me, 
I would for sure trade one of my kids to squat a thousand pounds today because I'll never be able to put that weight on my back and go all the way down and come up with it, but I can still have kids. Understood. Hey, listen, that's a, it's to know exactly what you want is a very empowering thing. And what you just said, there might be a lot of people out there that take offense to that, but the truth is that's exactly what it takes to be the best. So, and if you probably don't understand that if you've never competed to be less than 1% of 1% in the world at that specific craft. Well, I think that the, the power in that statement comes in, in the self-realization. So I understand that's an awful thing to say, mm -hmm. but I also understand that's who I am as a human being right. and that's who I am mentally. So I think that, you know, the difference is, you know, a person who says that without comprehension of what they're saying is a different than someone who says that and understands the impact that that statement really has. Right. And, you know, to me, like I said before, it doesn't make you good or bad. It just means you, you're making a choice. Right. Which is one of the hardest things to do when someone makes a choice. They, they have usually most of the time, I think the people I surround myself with, when they make a choice, they have a clear understanding of what they want. And I think that's a wonderful thing. So, um, so tell us uh, after West side, um, you it's not you don't leave Westside. you just you kind of move on to your own personal project and that took time and that was the huge sacrifice we we're dis, uh discussing after your own performance career correct yeah i mean there was a gap in there and so you know uh, we've talked about this we've talked about this before but you know you and i personally but you know i think you know what what i think is really hard for people to understand is you know my journey and, and part of what's changed me so dramatically is in 2004, you know, I was by, by all accounts, one of, if not the strongest people in the world. And I herniated L5 S1 doing an 1100 pound squat. Tell and, us, I'm sorry it, to interrupt you, Joe. I want to hear, tell, fill them in the backstory of that squat. Cause you said it on stage and I really appreciate the story. I think our listeners will as well. So essentially like all downfalls in life, it was, it was ego based. And I wasn't supposed to squat that weight that day. I was getting ready for a meet, but someone came in the gym and they tried to squat with the number one morning crew and which being which one I was in. And that's where the strongest guy squatted. And, you know, when you walk into Westside and you try to squat with that crew, you're going to get crushed. Mm. And I took it personally as, as a big offense to my ego. And so I kept moving the weight up and making the person do the weights and they kept getting crushed. And I kept moving it up and moving it up because I wanted to prove a point. Well, I was not supposed to do that weight and I did. And I got to the top and I did it really fast because I was proving a point. And when I got to the top, something, something tweaked a little bit. And when it's 1,100 pounds, a little tweak goes a long way. And so, right. you know, for me, I, I injured myself because my ego was too big to do what I was supposed to do for that day. And, you know, that lesson was one of those things that took me from, from being one of the strongest people in the world, one of the best in the world at what I did all time, to the next day I couldn't put my clothes on myself. Yeah. And, you know, people – 
people talk about injuries and, and they talk about it in this physical state. But one of the biggest things that you've heard me say before, you cannot separate what's in the brain and what's in the body. Right. And I mean, that, that injury, you know, it took me, you know, like, like we talked about writing for elite FTS. I mean, I, I was writing tons of content, putting out articles. And, and then from 2004 to 2010, um, you know, I, I might as well have been dead in, or were in prison because that injury didn't, didn't take physically from me as much as it took mentally. And, and, you know, that was a a big depression time for me. That was, you know, days without showering. That was, you know, not wanting to, to be around anybody, not wanting to do anything. And, you know, it was, it was a pretty dark time. And it's, it's one of those things that, again, unless you've been at the very best of what you, you are in your profession and you're that 1% of 1%, you're willing to die to get another weight. And then you can't do that anymore. And it's taken from you. It's not the physical consequences. It's the mental consequences that, that people don't understand that really impact you the biggest. Oh man. How, how do you get out of that? How do you, did you break yourself out of that? Cause I know that must've been a dark, uh, trying time. Well, you know, I, I think it's, you know, obviously it's people around you. I mean, my wife was there for that and, and, you know, it's, it's some, some bad times and she put up with a lot and, um, you know, I had great, you know, Eric Serrano was my doctor and, and he tried helping me a lot. Obviously I have people like Dave Tate around you to, to counsel or, or great people. But honestly, what really, really pulled me out of everything was, I started my own business and, and it really gave me new life and new purpose and something that I could throw myself into and say, okay, I can, I can't be the strongest person in the world maybe anymore, but, but I can make this business the best business in the world. And so for me that, you know, it was, it was interesting. I was working a job where quite honestly, I had things pretty locked down. I mean, I could, I could get away with working 15, 20 hours a week and, and making a decent salary. And I started my business working a hundred hours a week and I loved life again. Mm. And so for me, you know, when I talk about the spot athletics, people don't understand. It's my baby. It's, it's, I have such an emotional attachment to my business for what it did for my life. It's, it's one of those things when, when people talk about, Oh, would you sell or franchise? I mean, it's emotional for me. It's not just a business. Right. And, you know, it's funny because when you get up and you're having a tough time with me and uh, anatomy, it's always there for me. Like in my family's there, my wife's there. It, it's just different because that business is so deeply affected by every single thing I do for good or for bad. So it's something that I'm proud of. I'm proud of the team there. I'm proud of the people there. But the the emotional attachment I have to making it work and doing the best I can and giving my all to see it through is uh, something that uh, I think everyone should experience if they, they want to be a business owner. It's really a, a challenging time at the beginning. Well, I think, you know, it's, it's we've experienced a tremendous amount of growth and, you know, it's kind of how we started the whole, you know, it's when we met and I, I said I wouldn't have liked you. I mean, for me the you know the the life-changing part was was doing that but for me i had you know when i when i discovered reflexive performance reset and really started learning how to manage my nervous system and i I mean that it, it was amazing for me because this thing that i was so passionate about i was able to to make better business decisions and, and do things so much better with my life. And so I think it's, it's interesting that as we grow, you know, for me at one point that was, 
it was powerlifting and then, you know, the spot athletics. And then I found this other thing that just made every part of my life, whether it was the lifting or the business better. And so I think, I think once you're a person who's continually wanting to grow and I, obviously I know you are, and I think that's why we connected so well is because we're, you know, in our, at the spot athletics, we have, we have three values. And for us, it's family, humility, and 1%. And that 1% is that we try to get 1% better in what we do every day. And I, I think, you know, I think all three of those values were something that, that I saw in you right away. I think that's, that's why we connected. Uh, I couldn't agree more. And it's, it's hard. How does it, I mean, I, I, based on our personal conversations, um, I get an idea or an understanding rather of how you came in to be more open-minded, but what do you do with like young people, like to get into a little bit of coaching? It's hard to teach someone that. I don't think you can teach someone that. I think they arrive at that place and at the right time. What's your thoughts on that? I think a lot of that has to do with having good mentors. And, you know, I think that word gets thrown along a, a lot, a lot of words. I think, I think and it's not that those words haven't always been part of the vernacular. I think that with social media and the, the access to information, we just hear those things a little more, but I think having a good mentors, it, it's crucial. And, you know, it's interesting is, you know, the people that I was around and after I got hurt, I mean, I was, I was a fairly, closed-minded coach when I started off and you know to me you know the squat that that fixes I mean that cures cancer just squat you got cancer just squat that'd be okay (laughs) and so I mean it was it was you know my mentality was fairly closed off and there everything was right or wrong good and bad and you know I think as you grow and you, you just expose yourself to people at a high level you understand that the people at the highest level understand there's one rule that that there's only one solid rule in, in fitness and strength training and all those. And, and that one rule is it depends. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's it. That's the only thing that holds true is it depends. I, and, oh yeah. Please keep going. Keep going. No. So I think that, you know, for all the young coaches out there, I mean, everybody wants to say this system's the best and everyone gets their ego drawn up and defending this system or that system or this belief or that belief. But I think if you, if you open your mind and just say it always depends, and then at that point, I always say, I want the biggest toolbox possible. Because if you have one tool, then you only can fix one problem. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's some great tools. A hammer is a great tool. It's not a great tool if you want to wash windows. Right. And so, you know, for me, you just have to make that toolbox as big as possible and you have to be as open as possible. But I think there definitely a balance point to that because I know when I got into coaching one of the reasons that it drove me to good bad you know all that was that and especially today I honestly I feel bad for the young coaches because information is so readily available I can see how you get paralyzation from overanalyzation Mm -hmm. with all the amount of information that's available today oh yeah yeah I I see a lot of younger coaches and this they're some they're brilliant. This it's amazing. It's not to knock them at all, but as you said, they spend so much time breaking things down that they, they sometimes it's okay to get into the work and start pushing and start working. I just think that a lot of younger coaches don't understand that. You know, get out there and experience it. Get out there and just get some uh, communication. Get out there and get some social 
in your system, through your field, in the work environment, with a group, with a one-on-one, whatever it may be. And that'll help you tremendously because it's one thing to understand and to learn. It's another thing to apply. Well, that's that's such a great point. And to that point, you know, one of the things I tell all young coaches, and, and this is something that honestly, if I would have said this in my early 20s, I, I would have hated the person saying it, which is so funny. But programming literally doesn't matter. It literally doesn't matter because I say this all the time. And this is one of the things that is key. It's, it's up on a big sign in, in my staff coaching area. So you can't out program shitty coaching and you know really well programmed shit is still shit and so to me the only thing that matters is the level of coaching and you can't learn that in a book you have to get out you have to be able to empathize with people you have to be able to meet people where they are and if you can't do those things it doesn't matter what you read in a book and i you know we we struggle with that with our young coaches tremendously and interns and things that we get is they're so well read they, they understand, you know, they can talk about velocity-based training and all these things. But again, you, you got to be able to coach people. People got to buy in. And the example I always use is we worked with a football team and, and they were lower income area. They had nothing for facilities. And a really good friend of mine who I lifted with at Westside, his son played for the team. So he asked if we could do it. So we took over their off-season program. And this is a team I'm talking, we didn't, we, we didn't have one full set of dumbbells. You know, you want to talk about not having equipment. We had some barbells and some plates. And so we went to that school and, you know, our program was as basic as it could get. It was Mm -hmm. as basic as it could get. But I walked into that facility that first day, got all the kids in the gym on the football team. And we took over the off-season program. The coaches introduced us. They said, we're not doing anything. These guys are running the off-season program. Coaches left. I held up a $100 bill. And I said, who wants this $100 bill? Every kid in that gym, of course, raised their hand, me, 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 me. Well, then I said, who was going to fight me for this $100? (laughs) I tell you what, every hand in that gym went down real fast. (laughs) I believe that. I believe that. And I said to him, I said, hey, guys. I said, here's the deal. I said, if you're not willing to fight, get out of the gym. Mm -hmm. I said, because you guys all told me you want this $100. You are telling me you want to win. But those teammates – all those guys looking across you, they better be willing to fight with you because your opponent, they're going to fight you for that win. They're not going to give you the win, just like I'm not going to give you this $100. If you guys aren't willing to fight, get out of this gym because you're going to make it through this offseason. And I'll tell you what, what we did, we didn't do anything. We didn't do anything special on the coaching. We didn't do anything special on the programming. What we did was we built a culture there. And that culture, like you always say, culture is everything. And it uh, that's something I believe in 100%. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's so... It's so amazing to hear that. I know we spoke about it uh, in, in many of our conversations, but when you told me about that football team and how the program was actually basic, but you got them to actually buy in and give everything they had in a work wonders. That's true testament to what you just said, where the program shit, it's all about the coaching and how you deliver the information. It was everything. No, it's. I mean, that team hadn't won more than three games in the regular season in the history of the school. Been around 12 years. They had won more than three games. Never won a home opener. There was two schools in the area they'd never beat in 12 years. They won their home opener. They won seven games. They beat both those schools they hadn't beat, and they went to the playoffs for the first time in school history. And, that's and we, amazing. we didn't do anything other than instill a culture of we will fight you for everything we got. And and for me. That's what I mean. That's that's what I learned at Westside Barbell. There, I'll, I'll tell you right now, I Westside Barbell. I was in the night crew when I first got there. 
Um, there's a night crew and a morning crew. And so the night crew, I was in the night crew. And what happened was I played a joke on somebody. They got mad and yelled at me. Essentially, I called that person outside of Westside to fight me. And so I shoved him. I went outside. I said, right now, we're going to throw down. And that person wouldn't come outside of the gym to fight me. And I quit the night crew and moved to the morning crew because I won't train with people who won't fight me. Thing is, is like you, we will be great friends after we fight, but we're going to throw down. And, you know, at that point in my life, you wouldn't fight me. I wouldn't be friends with you. It's interesting. It's interesting because all the people that I've had physical altercations with in the past are actually my dear friends now from youth, from, you know, uh, high school, even college. Like those people are actually dear friends. And I have a closer bond with them than anyone. Yeah, I mean, that's the worst fight I got in college in football practice. My buddy Dave Zeiderveen, I mean, Z tried to rip my head off. I was trying to rip his head off. I mean, it was, I mean, I, if we could have killed each other, we would have. And I mean, to this day, we're best friends. So interesting. So interesting. So that takes you to uh, your own facility. And tell us more about your facility and how things went. How long have you been up, up and running? So started in 2010 and, you know, I like to say it started with a squat rack and a dream. That was, that was pretty much what we had. And, uh, I got my own facility in 2011, 2011, we started in 2000 square feet. It was, uh, we had, we were inside a chain link fence, uh, inside of a volleyball facility. And, you know, it was, we didn't, we didn't have much and we bought a lot of our equipment used and I, I didn't really have money to finance things and had to borrow some money from some friends, which I was, I was fortunate enough, you know, to have some clients that really believed in, in who I was and what I did. And, you know, over since 2011, I mean, we, we moved in, in 2014, we moved into an 8,000 square foot facility and that, that went really well. Um, and then, you know, as, as I mentioned, you know, in, in the last two years, it's been an insane growth. And, and I know it's, it's directly correlated to the change that I've made as a person in the last two years. Um, you know, that, that, that 2014 guy, me and you probably wouldn't got along so well, but right. you know, the, the, the person that I've become over the last two years is, is really changed my perspective. And now we have two 20,000 square foot private training facilities. Uh, one's more downtown Columbus, one's out in Dublin, which is just a suburb about 25 minutes outside of Columbus. And, you know, it's, it's been great. I think, you know, I have a great staff of people that, I mean, obviously, you know, this as well as, as anybody, I mean, none of that's possible without the staff. And, right. um, you know, one of my guys, Matt Bernowski, he's, he literally, he interned with me, before I ever started the spot when I was running a, a, a business club. And, uh, I mean, I called him up. I got a call. It's funny. I signed my lease. I was sitting in the office of the 2000 square foot space and literally just sitting there. There's no equipment, nothing done. And I got a call for a reference for him. And they said, you know, he said, any reference, I called him. I said, I thought you were going to physical therapy school. He said, I just, I decided to change my mind and I'm applying. I want to be a, personal trainer in Columbus. Wow. And I, I said, well, are you in town? He said, and I literally walked in and there's nothing up. We had no equipment. And I literally just said, here's the dream. And you know, it was funny. I I'd gotten actually one squat rack out of elite FTS, the compound. I believe it was uh, maybe S three at the time. Right. And Dave was upgrading. And so he gave me, or well, I 
bought one of his old racks. So there was literally just a squat rack sitting in an empty space. And so Matt and I always, we always joked it was a squat rack in a dream. And it was funny because his parents were so mad at him because the other place was going to give him a salary and, and all, all right. these other things. And I told him, I said, I, I don't know if some weeks if I'll be able to pay you. I, I don't know if we'll be able to make any money. And honestly, I don't even know if we'll be open in two years. And he said, I'm in. And uh, he's been with me ever since. And it's it's funny. His parents, you know, they come down now for holiday events or things. And that personal training place he was going to work at is out of business. And, you know, he's he's doing really well. And he's 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 been with me for for the whole time. So it's having people like that, you know, it's uh, who believe in the dream and, and who help you build that dream. I mean, those are people that, you know, you obviously, you know, have to have around to, to be able to, to do anything in life. Absolutely. It's always uh, no self-made men. Like we get help, but we get help. Yeah. We build our dreams, but we help them build their dreams. We give them support. We give them uh, the knowledge that we have, a little bit of uh, mentorship or leadership. We do the very best we can along the path. JL, how do you get your the rest of your coaches? Are they all application? Do you go out and recruit? How is it done if someone wants to, wants to work at the spot? Well, I'll tell you, I, I made a lot of mistakes in the beginning. And, you know, I think you, you learn, you know, why, why do the mistakes cost you so much? Because lessons are supposed to cost you. And, you know, I made a ton of mistakes and did a lot of things wrong. But one of the things I'm most proud of is last year we moved all of our staff to salary with benefits. So, you know, we have some part-time coaches, but any of our coaches that have full-time positions have regular salaries. They get paid time off. They get all, you know, health, dental, vision. And so, for me, it's it's definitely a rarity in our field. But to me, I want coaches that are going to be here for careers. I don't want people that are working a job during college. And I think to be able to provide that, we have to provide a real future for people. And so I'm, I'm really proud of moving to that. So, you know, we do get a lot of our people from referrals. We, we, we get a lot of, you know, when we put out stuff because we do offer salary and benefits. Um, when we have positions open, we do get a lot of applications. But obviously you know, I have a big network of people. So, you know, getting referrals from people that I know is always, always the best thing, obviously. Right. Um, are you, tell us how it works in regards to the way you conduct your coaching staff, your team. Like, there's a few takeaways that we talked about with anatomy and maybe there's a few commonalities, but you do things in a very special, unique way at the spot in regards to responsibility and making sure that everyone does what they're supposed to do. Kind of like do your job, mind your own business, make sure everyone takes care of their job first and then they take care of everyone. How does that work? Yeah. So for us, there's a couple of rules that are just cardinal rules in our facility. One, we are a private facility. So what I say is that our coaches must know the names of every person in the facility. So just like you wouldn't let someone walk in your house without knowing their name. For us, if someone walks in, you don't know their name, you go up, you shake their hand, you introduce yourself and welcome them to the spot. And to me, that's something that, you know, I look at the spot when you're here, this is your house and you, you treat it that way. And so, you know, for us, make sure we know everyone's name, that that's integral to our culture. And, you know, like I said, family's our number one value. And, you know, I don't mean that in obviously, you know, your family at home, obviously have a wife and kids, but to me, it's, it's being able to treat everyone in our facility like family. And so, you know, you better know someone in your family's name. Now, just like at a family reunion, you might have to ask somebody else what their name is before you go introduce yourself because right. you might forget a third cousin's name now and then. But, um, 
you know, for me, I think part of that family aspect and, and really that humility aspect, you know, our staff, it's required that every one of our staff has an area of the gym that they're responsible for and they're responsible to make sure that it's clean, organized and working. And so for us, you know, that becomes really important because just like your house, you, you own, you know, and I saw a, a great speech uh, by Urban Meyer, actually, and he was talking about this. Uh, a couple of years ago. And it was, you know, you said when you had an apartment in college, you know, they had friends over for a fight, someone, you know, watching a Mike Tyson fight and someone punched a hole in the wall and they moved the couch and covered the hole in the wall. He said, that was my crappy apartment in college. He said, but now if someone comes to my house, puts a hole in the wall, they're going to get off the spackle and fix it. Right. And, right. <laughs> right. Exactly. The, you know, and the difference is, is you own your house. And so for me, I, I want all my coaches to take ownership in, in the spot athletics. And to me, you know, this has been one of the things that I've been really passionate about from day one. I don't want the spot athletics to be about JL Holdsworth. I want the spot athletics to be about just like Westside Barbell. Westside Barbell wasn't about Louis Simmons. It wasn't about the equipment. Westside Barbell was about the people inside those four walls and still is to this day. And obviously Louis leads those people and, and, and obviously dictate some stuff within those walls but without those people inside those walls no one would have ever heard of west side barbell and and that's really how i look at the spot athletics is it's the people inside these walls the coaches that i have that's what's going to dictate our success and so to me i want every single one of them owning the spot athletics and and you know treating it like it was their own uh, that's so well said man. i i just pray everyone understands what the heck that means man it's it's pretty self-explanatory treat it as if it's yours like i was once again man I, we, we've had this talk i didn't just start cleaning up and picking up a little pieces of paper off the floor a little pieces of lint off the floor it's not just ocd it's because i give a shit and i care and i was doing that my whole in, my whole life it has nothing to do with ownership that's who i am that's how i got there and that's how i want to get where i'm going so if you understand that, like that you you have to take care of it like it's yours because it is yours. Anatomy is about the people that are inside, man. They go for them. They follow them. If they tell them to get on a meal plan, they're going to do it. Tell your members. Tell your your clients. They listen to you. You're on stage. Sorry. Well, no, I think you know it's just like you know obviously I've you know we've talked about this before, but that's. You know, to me, you doing that and someone noticing that, that's obviously what led to you, you know, being being an owner at Anatomy. And I think that, you know, people miss that. I think as young coaches, I think, you know, the thing they miss is that the things integrity is some is how you treat people and they can do nothing for you. Right. And I think that for me, that relates so well to life, but how you act when no one's looking that's that's character mm -hmm. and you know i think that you know young coaches i think and this is part of this social media kind of generation of things is everyone thinks that unless they take a video of it it doesn't count but man people are watching all the time whether there's videos on or not and that that you know other 23 hours of the day that's not being videotaped that's what's gonna that's what's gonna determine what your life becomes right um you know, the social media. Yeah, listen, this isn't myself knocking social media. I actually appreciate social media because it helps me connect with you, uh, a bunch of other people in our industry, and just everyday people. I can help them. They can help me. But I have a few people in my life. Sometimes they get frustrated 
when they're not uh, credited on social media or um, recognized. And I always say, you have to understand something. Who you are has nothing to do with social media. What I mean by that is me knowing who you are and how well you conduct yourself, your business, the way you treat others, the way you work, that's going to get me to give you a great referral, meaning like just think the world of you because you're good at what you do and that's what matters most. Social media doesn't mean shit because we both know that could be manipulated like hell. So social media can be a great thing to build you up in a different way, but your true salt is what other people actually know of you off social media. Yeah, I think, you know, like you, I think that social media is, it's, it's such an extremely powerful tool and you know it's funny right so i didn't i didn't have an instagram account for literally i think a couple months ago and, and it was because someone commented on some stuff on my spot athletic stuff and I, I couldn't cuss them out on my business page so i had to create a personal page but uh you know it's interesting because it's such a powerful tool but you know, I mean, it's the great Spider-Man quote, right? With great power comes great responsibility. Oh, yeah. And I think, and I think that that's one of the things for, for us, you know, I know for me and for you, it wasn't around when we were younger. And so when we were, we were in our teens, it, there, it wasn't a thing. And so we understand that there is a world outside of it and without it. But I think it's tough for younger younger kids because for them this is that that social media is really the only reality they know and so i think it does become it becomes i think honestly i I look at it as really an opportunity for people who who are leaders in the industry to not just show the greatest moments of their life but to show some of the struggles and show some of the things and and show that it is hard because i think so many people want to want to post you know oh this is that great workout this is that great dinner this is the great look at this vacation but you know what it's not sexy to post look at it's it's one o'clock in the morning and i'm still working on this these numbers or this budget and you know no one posts those things but i think it's really powerful for for leaders in the industry to talk about those things because then it, it provides something that becomes honestly a little bit inhibitory to younger people because they think that the reality is the vacation and the nice dinner and those things. And, you know, I mean, when I came and visited, you know, when I was down there visiting anatomy, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm as guilty of it as anybody, you know, I posted all the great things, but you know, I didn't post the the three hours on the plane when I was working on work or when I got back to my hotel and I was working on work after our dinner, right. I posted the steak dinner. Right. So I knew you did that by the way. I knew it like you walked out when I knew you arrived, you took a picture of the beach and the boardwalk, but dude, you're from Ohio. You're not around that. It's beautiful. You took a picture of it, but I knew exactly what you're doing. I said, JL is not walking around on the beach, taking in the sights. He probably went right back to his room and hit emails. Yeah, it's and and that's the thing, right? We post the picture of the boardwalk, the steak dinner, all those. We don't post the pictures because it's it's not it's not the fun things to look at. But you know, I think that I think as for me, for young coaches, I think one of the greatest things that that we can we can do is really understand that anything worth having in life is going to take a tremendous amount of work and no matter what anybody shows or tells you if, if they're telling you that they're trying to sell you something that doesn't exist right it's a very good point man very well said you know well, go ahead, please I, I, no it's funny i had a wrestling coach in high school and 
he told me this one time and it's funny because it relates to life now. But so when he was in, when he was in, he's a you know, wrestling coach, he's a little older than me, but he said when he was in high school, he saw an ad in the paper that said, become a millionaire, send $1, learn how. So he sent a million, he, he sent his uh, dollar. I think in. I know where this is going. I yep. love the ending. This go, please. He sent the, he sent the dollar in and he got a letter back in the mail that says, take out an ad in your local paper that says, <laughs> learn how to be a millionaire, send $1, wait for a million people to send you a dollar. And so I look at all this business coaching and everything that's going on online. And it's just the modern day version of that, right? Pay me a thousand dollars, learn how to become a millionaire. And they're going to tell you how to run a business they've never ran before because they're just selling you a dream. And it's, you know, oh, learn how to become a millionaire without any work. Yeah. You know how that you do that? You put an ad on Facebook that says learn how to be a millionaire without doing any work and wait for a million people to send you a dollar. And so it's just a modern day snake oil salesman. It's been around since the early 1870s. And so it's I think, you know, as as leaders in the industry, I think the more we can educate young coaches that that doesn't exist. And that that scam's been around since, you know, since the beginning of time, I think the better off people will be. Mm hmm. I literally had this conversation yesterday and the day before. There was someone online that said, you know, they were talking about work and building a business, being an entrepreneur. And they said, everyone thinks it's like those, as you said, the steak dinners, you know, uh, private travel, luxury cars. And in fact, it's none of those things. It's what you were doing on a plane, probably in coach, doing your work in a cramped seat, busting your ass, showing up each and every day when people go, it must be hard for you, Mark, getting up at like 6 a.m. every day. Jeez, are you so tired? I'm like, 6 a.m.? I'm like, dude, I don't get up at 6 a.m. on Sunday. And that's not the power of my chest is to tell you that I got a lot of shit to do and I don't have enough time in the day to do it, so I have to get up really early. But no one yep. sees those things. They don't understand it. And that's fine. It doesn't mean they're bad people. It's just entrepreneurship is not sexy. It's not totally awesome. I mean, it's totally awesome for me because I enjoy the work. I enjoy the process. To me, that's everything. I enjoy learning about myself, learning about others, and how I can be better for them. We could be better together in going through the journey. That's why it's awesome for me. Well, I, I agree with you 100%. You know, as I said earlier, you know, being able to throw myself and be 100% into the spot athletics is, I mean, that pulled me out of some, some pretty dark places. Mm -hmm. And for me, you know, that, you know, that was just something, I mean, I have to have something to go 110% into, and that's my personality. And, you know, when that was taken away from me, that was really hard. And for me, being a business owner gave that back to me. So again, you, you know, it's the hardest thing I've ever done in life. And I, I can tell you right now, you know, I've got tons of stress and all these things, but God, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Mm. Awesome, man. Awesome. So, Joe, uh, tell us about the how RPR started and where we're at now with it, and then where they can go, where our listeners can go to hear this, uh, hear you teach, list, learn from you, and then use these, you know, different techniques on their clients and on their athletes. Yeah, I mean, I think the the biggest thing, you know, so if people aren't familiar, reflexive performance reset, it's you know, it's relatively new. Um, myself, Cal Dietz, and Chris Corfis, we co-founded Reflexive Performance Reset uh, about 18 months ago. And one of the greatest things uh, about RPR is that, and, and kind of so 
you know, if people aren't familiar with RPR, it's a system that enables you to create instant improvements in your life by teaching you how to make neurological changes. And so for me, you know, when we really look at RPR, the, the area we've really focused on the most as, as we're getting it out there is, is the performance aspect of, of RPR. And so, you know, we, you know, myself and Cal and Chris, we all have other things we do. We have, you know, I have a business I run and Cal's strength coach at Minnesota. And people may be familiar with triphasic training that, that he created. Corpus is a great track coach and, and he's a high school teacher. And, and we all have these things and, you know, we spend as much time as we can getting it out there. But honestly, you know, I feel like we need to do more because for me, it's been life changing. And, and I think what people don't understand is that everything we think we know about the body is really incomplete mm -hmm. because everything we think we know about the body has been studied through muscles and through connective tissue or skeletal, you know, but the nervous system, it, it's the CEO of the body mm -hmm. and it controls everything. And RPR gives people a tool to affect change in that nervous system and affect change in their body. And for me, I, I mean, this has been the biggest change in my business. It's been the biggest change in, in how my body feels. It's been the biggest change in my life. And, for me that you know the first time after i learned rpr um and and i came back i worked on dave tate and dave said a 90 pound squat pr that day and i mean it, it was you know at that point i knew how powerful it was but the issue was i i went and learned there's a guy named douglas heel and he teaches a system called be activated and that's where i originally went and learned and so it's a practitioner driven model and the thing was, was after Dave set that 90 pound squat PR, I said, holy crap, I want all my clients to have this. Right. And so the, the problem was though, there's no way I could, I couldn't treat all my clients. I mean, that, that would, it would, you know, that would be forever. So, you know, I called Cal and Chris who, who were the ones who introduced me to it. And I said, okay, how do you guys implement this in your team settings? How do we get this to everybody? And so that's really where, you know, they came into town to, to teach some things to my staff and we had dinner and that's really where RPR was born was over that dinner. And, and we said, how do we get this out of the hands of just practitioners and how do we get this in the hands of strength coaches and personal trainers so that they can teach their clients how to use these techniques and these methods for themselves. Mm -hmm. And that's really to me where the power in RPR comes in is that it's stuff that people can use every day to improve their life. Mm -hmm. And, and that's really where the power is. Mm -hmm. And how many, how, so you've been teaching it for how long you've been teaching it for how long? Uh, about 18 months, 18 months. And how many seminars is that roughly? I mean, we've, you know, over the last 18 months or so, well, I can't, know. it's been, you know what? It's honestly, it's only been over a year now. Okay. So, so we, we started as a brand 18 months ago, but then we were working on a lot of things before we did the first clinic. So I've been doing clinics now for a little, I guess a little more than a year. Um, but in that time, I think we've, we've certified probably around, I don't know, 12, 1300 people in in-person clinics. Mm -hmm. And you, I noticed that when you, we spoke last time you were here, you said that you have these, uh, the techniques on the wall. So the younger, the youth athletes, they, they perform it on themselves, correct? Yeah. I mean, 
the real goal with RPR is to give people the tool to do themselves. So, mm-hmm. you know, our athletes come in at 10 years old and they do all the breathing and the weight because the breathing is really the base of the whole system. And so they do all the, they use our RPR breathing techniques. They do the wake up drills and, and our, you know, that's 10 years old. It's awesome to watch a kid come in and start running through everything and put their body in a better place to perform. Mm-hmm. And we've done, you know, and, and this is one of the things that's so key too. I mean, we've done, a lot of you know we've implemented it with a lot of pro you know nfl nhl uh major league baseball teams and one of the greatest things you know a lot of college teams as well and because this is something that in a team setting or in a group training setting you know once people are certified when we certify you know you know you've been through it we certify you and teach you how to teach your clients or your athletes how to do it and so to me i just think that you know, one of the biggest issues with kind of the, the, the care system right now is that practitioner-based model, and, and I get why it is. It It's cool to be the person who can fix somebody. Right. But but to me, as soon as I, you know, if I show you something and I'm, oh, here you go, I fixed this for you, Mark, what I immediately did was I took away your power to fix yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and for me, that's really why I'm so passionate about RPR because – I don't like giving the power up to be able to create change in my body to somebody else. I, I want to keep that power for myself and I want other people to keep that power for themselves. So our, our big point with RPR and the thing we're trying to do is we're really trying to give people the ability to make the changes themselves so they can keep the power for creating change for their own bodies. And you, you know, cause you've obviously seen a lot of it, but the change you can create through your nervous system is so massive and so instant. And the fact that you can do it yourself to me, that that's where the real power is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I've seen dramatic changes in my clients already and trying to teach them how to do the techniques. I mean, they work. Um, is there a little bit of push? Well, first I have one quick question. Um, so remember you told the story, there is certain practitioners, maybe they may be, you know, if that's if your profession is to fix someone, and RPR kind of takes care of it, I mean, yeah, you may lose a client, but tell the rest of the story, Jail. Well, I I think, you know, the the big thing is is that if you're, you know, if people, I I think if people are using it themselves every day, it becomes a cumulative effect. So I believe in habit based changes, and so if we're we're allowing, we're teaching you to teach your clients how to breathe in a much better way, how to access their nervous system and create changes in their body. Yeah, it, it still won't, it's it's not going to be as great as an effect as if a practitioner does it, but that cumulative effect of doing it every single day is going to be much better than going to see a practitioner once a week. And, you know, unfortunately, the, the methods are so powerful that, you know, we, we've gotten you know, we have gotten some pushback from practitioners who don't like it because we're empowering people to create change in their own body. And quite frankly, that takes some power away from that practitioner. But but honestly, to me, I don't see it that way. It's it's how I look at coaching at the spot athletics. I always say to my coaches, we don't train people, we teach them how to train. Mm-hmm. And a lot a, a lot of facilities, they want to they want to keep the power as the coach. They want to keep the knowledge. To me, I want our coaches to get I want my coaches to go to anatomy and be lifting, deadlifting, squat, doing whatever. And you're looking at them going, holy cow, those guys know how to train. And you ask them, they're like, Yeah, I learned how to train at the spot. I want them to know. 
because what people don't understand, I don't think, is if you give people and you empower people with that kind of knowledge, they want more knowledge. Right. That just allows you to do it at a higher level. And so now when you're coming in, I don't have to teach you how to where to put your hands when you squat. I get to work on more advanced things. Mm -hmm. And so just like that with RPR, that's my thing is that, you know, a lot of these practitioners that are really, you know, not liking it because it's taking, it's giving people the power for their own bodies. To me that it's not, it's not taking away power. It's enabling a practitioner to do deeper level stuff instead of dealing with basic things over and over and over again to me i always want to empower people to care for themselves whether that's training or that's caring for your nervous system i want to empower people to do that for themselves because quite frankly i know that's where the real change happens if if we teach every client in our facility how to train themselves and they move away i've given them a lifetime skill or if one of our young kids comes in and trains with us for two, three years, goes on to college. I know when they go into their college weight room, they're not going to get hurt. They're going to have a lifestyle habit that's going to last forever. Maybe and so for me, you know what I mean? And that that was my whole goal with RPR was how do we take something that's so complicated and so practitioner based and how do we boil it down to something that's essential that a 10 year old kid can learn how to do? Mm. And and that's really it. I mean, and I think. You know, that's our mission at Spotifyx is to impact and inspire. And, and you know, it's not really any different with RPR. And, and I think for Cal and Chris and myself, that was that was the onus of RPR was to empower people to make these changes themselves. Mm -hmm. And how was the I, I want you to share this. Talk about like the intertwining or, or uh, uh, the overlap of like, is it RPR? Should I say it like this, JL? I don't know if this is well said or not, but I got to get to it the the focus or focal point on transfer of energy in RPR or a totally separate topic how would you like I just want people to get an understanding about basically our talk we JL JL and myself had to talk about energy and how energy is so powerful and how it transfers and how you can get it on each other and it's so powerful well I think it's that stem from your experience with RPR is that correct yeah I mean one of the big things is you know and and what we're talking about you know people you know I'm I mean, this is just my personality. I'm not a, a touchy feely kind of guy. Mm -hmm. That's that's not really my my personality. But but what is ironic about that is is I'm an extremely emotional person, and and that's just my nature. It always has yeah, been. It takes one to know one. Likewise, bro. Yeah. <laughs> and so you know, I was that little kid who I lose a game, I'd be bawling my eyes out. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? It was just. But you know, I think that what people don't understand is is energy is a physiological transfer it's a change and so what what this what really boils down to and what people don't understand and, and one of the biggest things I'm, I'm a huge 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 proponent of is you cannot separate what's in the brain and what's in the body and to me if you try to look at things from a mental state or a physiological you can't do that they're intertwined and so when people have thoughts and actions, those things are going to affect. And we all know, right, very simply, you, you don't want to surround yourself with negative people. Everyone knows that. But the cool part is with RPR, we can actually describe to you physiologically why that is, what's happening between the bodies and what's happening to their actual, their nervous system and their other systems that are getting affected by that. And that to me is one of the coolest things. And that's what I love about RPR is it gives that lens to understand what's really going on in the body. And so the cool thing is, is you can't separate the mind and the body. So you get a real glimpse into, into how people are acting and why and, and, 
it's it's so powerful because you can then start to understand why non-contact injuries happen and all these other things and so it's i i think the you know for me i don't you know and we've talked about this but you know rpr really the performance side is is what we've really that's what we've really focused on because it's easier to understand squat more bench more run faster jump higher mm-hmm. and that's why it's been so big with sports teams but you know you and i have, have talked about this and this isn't really something that, that we've got into real deep but you know kind of as we've talked really as, as we move forward there's going to be three branches of rpr and that's rpr performance which is what most people are familiar with now and then there's going to be rpr leadership and rpr lifestyle because to me rpr it changes your life it doesn't just make you perform better make your body feel better it allows you to change and improve your life mm, absolutely i mean listen i had an incredible experience with rpr i i you know I suggest that everyone check it out and take the course. Uh, JL is a great teacher. Uh, I don't know. I know a little bit about Cal. I heard him speak a few times. I don't know anything about Chris, but I know the people that surround it in general are awesome. JL uh, has been nothing but a wonderful uh, resource and coach. So you guys got to check it out. I mean, it's, uh, it's definitely helped me a great deal, and I'm totally down to take uh, the rest of the courses when they come to fruition. So thank you for that, JL. Um, so – not monopolizing and crushing your time time frame i want to uh get into our final um group of questions so jay i gotta ask these questions they're they're the magna method speed round of questions to get people to know you and uh, I, I think they're i think they're really cool uh answer take your time with them rush them one word sentence whatever you want okay all right i love it okay your favorite ritual my favorite ritual is is definitely honestly at this point in my life i would say the ability to calm myself down through through using breathing in rpr uh it's it's something and the reason is to understand that is you have to understand that really legitimately up until a couple years ago i was i was a strong breeze from punching anybody in the face (laughs) And so it just, that, that's just really where I was as a person. And I was so sympathetic driven all the time. And, and now situations happen. There was, I was on vacation, uh, last weekend and we were out with some, some friends and, and there was a female in our group and, and there was a guy at the bar who was, who was doing something that, that I didn't think was very appropriate. And, you know, three years ago, that guy would have had a broken face. And, you know, it, it just, I was able to reset my body, reset my nervous system, bring myself into a place where I could, you know, diffuse the situation. And for me, just being able to breathe and, and go through the wake up drills and, and be able to affect positive change in my life. I, I do it all the time. I do it all the time. And so it's not a one time a day thing. I do it right when I wake up, but it, it's an all the time thing for me. You do when you wake up, you do uh, 20 uh, uh, belly breaths. How do you do it? So I, I usually don't get 20 when I wake up. I usually hit out 10 when I wake up and go through my wake up drills before I go to sleep. I usually try for 20, but, uh, I usually fall asleep before then. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Uh, favorite ritual other than breathing, lifting weights, whatever it is. This is, these are things that most people and they're hard to share, but favorite, <laughs> favorite ritual. All right, I'll go. So for me, honestly, um, let me think. Best ritual. I would say favorite ritual 
is uh, playing 13 with my kids. So 13 is a card game. It's kind of like Jim Rummy. Uh, and I used to play it when I was a little kid with, with my parents and my grandparents. And it's, it's just a fun card game. It's easy. My daughter, who's seven, can play it with us. And uh, that that's probably my favorite ritual is just playing cards with the kids. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Last book read. Uh, five Dysfunctions of a Team. Ooh. Five Dysfunctions of a Team. I'm writing that down. I'll be list- I'll be reading. Audio book or just book? Uh, I That was audio book. The last book that I read was um, To Sell is Human by Daniel Pink. The actual, actual physical read the book. Okay. The Five Dysfunctions of a Team I did Audible on. Sweet. Favorite book? <laughs> How to Win Friends and Influence People. Ooh, I have that on my table right now. And I think that it, everyone should read that book once a year. Did that, I agree 100%. That, it, look, if a book was written in, in the, the 30s and it's still an amazing book today, everyone should read Can it. Can you believe that? I, someone asked me, when did it come out? I said, that book came out in 1936. And it's yep. so relevant right now. It's amazing. I, mean, I, I think, to be quite honest, I think that should be required reading for every high school kid. Uh, it should be required reading for every high school kid. You're so right. And, and I usually ask people, have you read that? Yeah, 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 I read it. And then my second question, have you read that book cover to cover? And they, they say, no, nah, I need to read it. I said, read it cover to cover twice. Real quick, I think a point with this, and I think this is something that I think for your listeners could be one of the best takeaways out of, out of this please, whole podcast. Please. Yeah. Everybody on social media is p- promoting. I read this many books. I read this many books. Mm-hmm. If I will tell you this, I never read cover to cover until, until I started doing RPR. I swear to God, I never read one book cover to cover. And I read a lot of books, parts and parcel here and there. But one of the biggest things and the, probably the, the most important takeaways out of this podcast for me don't try to get in a contest about reading books Mm. digest information because it is not the amount of books that you read that counts it's the amount of information you can put in practice in your life that matters and so for me if you read two books a year and you read those books 10 times each and you implement everything in those books, that is more valuable than reading a hundred books. And I just had this conversation with, with an extremely smart entrepreneur and he was telling me about someone who he knew who read 97 books in a year. And that person <laughs> was, was yeah, right. A book, a book every three days. That's incredible. It, but I know where you're going. Get, say it, say it. Yeah, they didn't get anywhere more in their life. They didn't get make any improvements or any changes in their life. They were in this con- they were in this contest to see who could read the most books. Right. And so, to me, if I only read one book a year and I take every morsel out of that book and implement it into my life, I'm going to be a better person. I'm going to be in a better place. And I think right now there's this whole kind of trend where I read this many books, I read this many books. It doesn't matter. What matters is the information you can put into practical use in your life. And if if you have to read a book 10 times to do that, that's going to get you much further than reading a whole lot of books and not putting any of the information into use in your life. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I saw a post yesterday and the guy said, I love reading. I love information. And I was thinking every time I see one of these posts, and I guess this might be the negative side of social media, I kind of feel like a loser because I'm like, man, when I read a book, 
the truth is, Jail, I got to read that book a few times. Like, I have a bunch of books on my desk. Like, it took me a while to go through all those books. You know what I mean? What? No. I, look, I, I'll tell you, and this is, again, this is about people being real. Because the people who read the most smart books are not the smartest people I know or the most successful people I know. Mm-hmm. Because for me, I think one of my greatest talents is that I get little bits of information and I'm extremely vigilant about applying those things into my life. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I can't I can't read 50 books because I, I know that I can't implement all those things in my life. Mm-hmm. I'd rather read five books, implement everything. That's why I am so choosy about the books I read. Right. Be- because I know that that the information I get out of those books, I'm going to – I. I have to, the type of person I am, if I'm going to spend the time to read that, I have to apply it to my life. Right. I feel the same way about certs, by the way. Certifications. I mean, I I can only take in so much. That's just me. No, I'm a hundred percent because, you know, again, I think there's people out there that that brag about how many certifications they have, but yet they're not the people who are the best coaches. Mm -hmm. You know, the the thing I use all the time, we talked about him a lot, Louis Simmons. You know how many certifications Louis Simmons has? Zero. You know how many college degrees he has? Zero. Mm. Right. Mm. And so people, I mean, I'm just saying, right. He's one of the best, most respected, well-known, you know, coaches there is. And, and he's got no certifications. Wow. I didn't know that. That's great. Great information. I knew about the college thing, but you're absolutely right. One of the best in the world, the most respected at the very least and knowledgeable, tons of wonderful uh, performers and record holders and proofs in the pudding, man. Yep. All right. Uh, let's next, uh, Favorite sports team? Detroit Lions. Detroit Lions. You were a Barry Sanders fan, I can tell. No, I was. I mean, honestly, though, that's my – we were talking pro sports. If we're going to go, like, legit, though, the Fair State Bulldogs, because I played football there in college. So the Fair State Bulldogs are going to be my favorite team, but that no one really probably knows Fair State. So they know Fair Detroit Lions. That That's going to be behind them. Nice. Okay. <laughs> favorite athlete of all time? You can go all time or now. Go both. Ooh. Uh, favorite athlete of all time. Um, I don't know. I was I was a big Ronnie Lott fan. I was Ooh, a big Ronnie Lott fan. Ronnie Lott. Uh, I was a big Ronnie Lott fan, man. When I was a little kid, that was that was my that was my guy. Ronnie Lott, Tom Rathman, those all that. Tom that whole Rathman, group. number forty four. Great. Those, those, I I love those guys. Um, I would say you know it's interesting. Uh, you know favorite favorite athlete right now is is going to be my 12 year old son uh so that's uh you know it's interesting when i was young man i never owned any jerseys i always thought the only jersey i would ever wear would have my name on the back of it right um you know so i was never i just honestly i grew up my grandpa man that was my hero and uh you know i never you know to me like there was there was nobody who could be better than him and so that's cool you know that was I, I never really got into big like i wasn't a big sports you know love this guy or that guy and, and same now i, I mean, honestly we go we do consulting at, at these pro teams and i go in and you know i was at one team and i was working with a guy and <clears throat> in the weight room and it, very nice guy he walks in and you know do some stuff with him walks out he goes is that guy any good and and I'm not going to say the name, but it was their first round draft pick for a quarterback. And they're like, yeah, he's pretty good. Um, <laughs> and, but I just, I don't, I don't pay attention. 
uh, to that stuff at all. I mean, you know, and so, you know, I don't watch really, honestly, I don't, I don't watch sports. Uh, I'll go, I like going, I like the experience of going, mm-hmm. but, but to me, if I'm at home, I'm, I want to do some other things. I mean, we do, we do watch some, some Buckeye football because my, my son, we live in Columbus, Ohio. So my son's a big Buckeye fan and, cool. and I'm real good friends with that strength staff over there. So I, I like to see those guys have success. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Favorite type of music? It depends what time, man. If I'm training, it's gangster rap for sure. Like I love Eminem. There's, there's, <laughs> oh man, I, mean, I knew we had a lot I, in common. I, I love Eminem, man. <laughs> so, but if I'm driving in my car, uh, you know, I'll listen to anything. I love old country. I love Johnny Cash. Uh, I love I love Janis Joplin. Me and Bobby McGee is my favorite all time song. Uh, oh, yeah. But. But uh, if, if I'm lifting, man, it's it's Eminem or some other kind of gangster app for sure. Got to have a lot of energy. Okay. Favorite TV show? You watch TV? Uh, I'm not big on TV. Uh, I would say, um, you know, so so this is one of the rules in my house is, is we're not allowed to have cable. And so uh, we have kids. So we have Netflix and Hulu and that stuff. So um, I don't really watch too much TV, but I would say that uh, – you know, I, I watch some shows every once in a while. Uh, I was—it's funny. So, uh, let me think. What what shows have I seen? I think I, I love all the superhero stuff. So there's uh, Marvel's Agents of Shield, which is oh, yeah. kind of a superhero. So I'll watch that one every once in a while because I, I really I love superhero stuff. So I, I, I like that show. Favorite movie? Probably Transformers. Uh, we talked about this. That's obviously, right. but I remember that. <laughs> we talked about this, but. But my son, my three-year-old, he loves Transformers. I mean, we own every single Transformers movie. Like, I mean, this kid wakes up in the morning, he wants to watch Transformers, whether it's cartoon <laughs> or the movie. Like, this dude, he loves it. So so I would say just Transformers because I love sitting with my son, and he's three, and he just loves it. So cool. it's – I mean, I, I, to be honest, I don't know if it matters what movie it is if I'm sitting with him watching it, but, man, he loves Transformers. No, that's real cool, real cool. Favorite uh... – your your favorite excuse me let's go first mentor mentor dave tate dave tate yeah dave's you know i dave's is a life mentor for me um you know obviously he's he's built a successful business and elite fts you know it's been around 20 years that's that's successful but Mm -hmm. um you know he's really you know he's not necessarily my business mentor although he gives me great business advice, but mm-hmm. he's really a life mentor because he's, he's kind of, you know, 10 years ahead of me in, in all of the game. So it's uh he's, he's, he's a person I go to for a lot of things. Okay. Uh, favorite strength coach outside of Louie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, favorite strength coach outside of Louie. So probably going to be an answer that, that not too many people know, but Evan Simon, Evan uh, Simon, tell us more. So Evan, Evan is the head strength coach at Davidson college in North Carolina. Uh, he, he was a volunteer at Kentucky when I was there as GA and, uh, he was my first powerlifting training partner and he's just one of my best friends and he's just a a great strength coach. So, uh, I root for him one that, so he's, he's my favorite strength coach because okay. he's one of my best friends, but one that people might more know who I think probably doesn't get a lot of credit is Ian King. Uh, Ian's not someone many people know, but basically if there is an idea or a training 
methodology that's out there, it probably originated from Ian. And I would say in the last few years, <laughs> that's serious. And, and this, that's a hell of a compliment. Yeah, no, I, I'm telling you, Ian is he's he's an older guy. He's Australian, and uh, you know he's funny. He's he's a bitter old dude. Uh, he doesn't like too many people, but for some reason, I don't know. I don't know. For some reason, he likes me. But uh, we we became friends at the Swiss Symposium up in Toronto, which uh, I think there's going to be another one here coming up in November, um, which I would I would definitely recommend anybody who, who wants to learn. It's 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 a collection of the world's best coaches, and it's it's a there's doctors. I mean, it's it's really good. But we met. Well, a I'm sorry, Jay. When is that? Uh, I believe it's going to be in the end of October or okay. early November. Okay. I don't think there's a date set yet for it, but okay. um, it's up in Toronto. It's called Swiss, like S W I S and okay. society of weightlifting injury specialists. But um, man, it's Ian. I met Ian there a couple of years ago and he is, he's a grumpy old dude. I mean, but he, I, I don't know. We just hit it off for some reason. And I'll tell you, he taught me so much and, and it really expanded my knowledge and you know it's interesting we all know a lot of these ideas whether it's uh say vertical pulling and pressing that you know or horizontal rows and mm -hmm, presses mm -hmm, and all that and mm -hmm. that all comes from him wow. i mean it's he that dude he he's pioneered for a long time and his concepts are i mean they're they're amazing concepts and not too many people know him because um you know, he's, he's kind of a low key guy and he doesn't really get out there a ton, but I'm telling you, if you're fortunate enough to see that guy or talk to that guy, he's, he's amazing. How do we find that guy? Uh, I mean, Google, I guess. No, I, but it, I mean, is he, does he have a site for information or not necessarily? Yeah, he's got uh, KSI. It's like King sports international. They, he, he's got resources and information there. And, um, you know, I was, I went out uh, I've, I've gone to some events with him and things and he's just, he's, he's incredible. So, um, okay. I, you know, he's just, it's funny. He's one of those guys that not a lot of people know and, and more people should. Okay. Perfect. Um, your favorite, you have to pick one lift, one main lift. What is it? <sighs> Easy, man. The, the deadlift. <laughs> had to do it. I had to ask. So it's, it's the deadlift, man. I mean, the bench I was naturally gifted at. But the deadlift, I was not very good at when I first started. I was, I was off. I mean, I'm talking. You don't understand. When, when I used to go to meets, this is how bad it was. Bob Young's. So he, he used to train at Westside, right? Bob Young's. We would go to meets, and I would get down for the deadlift, and he would literally have to tell me butt down, butt down, butt down. And when I got in good position, he'd say pull, and I'd pick it up. I mean, it was, <laughs> dude, it was bad, man. Like I, I, I was just not a good deadlifter, but. You know, I ended up pulling 804 eventually, and uh, you know, I, I got you know 2014. I was fortunate enough to win a world championship in the deadlift, and but originally, man, that was that was my worst lift. Unbelievable! Your favorite accessory lift? I would. Ooh, that's a good one. Um, I would say honestly, probably glute ham raises. Glute ham uh, raises. Do you do much? Any way banded, weighted, slow? So. So I think that I think they're one of the so it's funny. There's I love glute ham raise partials. So there's a certain way we do it that you do a partial and it just destroys your hamstrings. Mm -hmm. Um and, and I probably like those just about more than any exercise. Okay. Sweet. I'm gonna have to get a video of you doing that. And then uh favorite quote. Who favorite quote? See, you should have gave me a heads up on this. This is the best part. You don't get a heads up. I know. I, I know. I, spot, I didn't, I didn't know this. Um, 
favorite quote. You got some in your gym, I noticed on the walls there. Uh, we got we got a lot, yeah. So, um, I, yeah. So I'll give you one that I, I don't know. I'll, I'll give you. Let me think about my favorite. But the one that's on the wall in our gym is "Can't is not an option. I can, I will, and I'll try." Mm-hmm. And that's Gene Kempton. That was my grandma, and that's you know oh, I said wow. I was close to my grandparents, that's but like. Great. A lot of people don't know that. They just see Gene Kempton. They don't understand who that is. But when I, when I was raised, my grandma did not allow us to say the words, I can't. And oh, so any times we said the word, I can't, we had to say, I can, I will, and I'll try. And so for us with our athletes in our facility, we tell them when they start the first day that the words, I can't, are not allowed in our gym. And if they say those words, they have to repeat, I can, I will, and I'll try. I love that. That's great, man. That's great. Uh, that's great. Um, okay. Favorite tip to a young coach, a young up-and-coming coach? Give him one tip. You can only give him one. What would it be? It's all about the like. Right. So to me, man, the only two, the thing that matters more than anybody is if people like you. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about on Facebook. I'm talking about in real life. And to me, if people don't like you, they won't trust you. And if people don't trust you, they won't train hard for you. And so to me, it's all about the like. And, you know, there's a lot of successful coaches in our business that honestly aren't very good, but people love them. Mm -hmm. They like them, so they trust them and they listen to them. And the thing we have to remember as coaches is even a a coach who's at a level, say, out of one through ten. And let's say, you know, whoever you think the best strength coach is, they're a level ten, you know. And so I would say for me, like if I'm, if I'm going to put myself at a level, I'll put myself at, at like a eight. Uh-huh. I think that, I think there's always more to learn, but I think I've, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to be 40 this year. Like I'm, I've learned a lot of stuff. Oh yeah. And so if I'm at an eight, the thing is, is our clients are at maybe a one, if that. And so the successful coach only needs to be at a 1.5 of knowledge but they have to be liked by the person. And so that's the thing. I think people miss that, man. Like and trust are everything in life. Mm. And so you cannot trust someone you do not like. It's so and true, so, man. So true. I mean, Oof. no one talks about it, but sh- just people liking you is the most important, most fundamental thing in coaching. And and you can call it relatable. You can call it all these right. things. Joe. But when we boil it down, if people don't like you, they're not going to trust you and they're not going to train hard for you, which means it doesn't matter what you program. It ain't going to work. It's so true. Let's clarify, Jail. You're not talking just because I know you on a personal level. You're not talking about kissing anyone's ass or bullshitting. You're talking about, you know, connecting, no. right? Connecting. Yeah, that's no. that's it's about, you know, it's connecting. I mean, what I, I mean, I say this all the time, right? So I, I tell, I tell my athletes, I tell our clients, look, I'm not here to make friends. I'm here to make you better. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I tell them all the time, I'm not your friend, I'm your coach. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's not about, it's not about kowtowing or, or whatever you want to do or whatever. No, it, it's about connecting with them. I think one of the things people don't understand is, is people confuse sympathy and empathy. Mm. And, you know, that is so powerful because for me, I, I, I do not, sympathy is not in my nature. I, you know, I can watch you get your, your hand cut off and be like, okay, like let's do the next set. And so <laughs> I don't, you know, I don't have sympathy. Now I can empathize with you and say, Hey, you know, that must really hurt. But people confuse those two terms. And as a coach, you have to have a tremendous amount 
of empathy and you have to want to serve other people. Mm. And I think at, at my core nature, people ask me, all, you know, I meet new people and what do you do? I say, I help people. Mm. And, and for me, that's how I look at it because if it's, you know, maybe it's helping develop my, my staff as a coach, if it's helping a client, if it's helping, you know, someone else develop. And so for me, everything I look, what I do with RPR, it's helping people. What do we do with spot effects? We help people. And so to me, it, I feel a tremendous sense to serve other people and help other people. And and I think sometimes people look at that as a negative. I don't want to serve other people. No, that you should be extremely proud to serve other people. It is the most noble thing to serve other oh people. Oh my God. It takes strength. And it takes strength to serve other people. That's just it, right? Like that's what people, I think that in our, in our culture and as our young coaches, you know, they look at, oh, I'm going to be the boss. I'm going to do this. No, you're going to serve other people. Mm -hmm. And if, if you're in this profession and you think that it's anything other than serving other people and helping people, it's, you're not going to be in the profession for long because that is the base of what we do. And what do you tell your coaches about, you know, it's serving your clients, like you're in the service industry clearly, but what about serving each other and serving your teammates or your, your, yep. your coworkers? What do you tell them? Well, so for us, you know, we, what we do is we have every Friday, so we close from one to three every day. So mm -hmm. our coaches can train mm -hmm. and all of our coaches, we want all of our coaches to compete in something. And so we give, like we do so much continuing education. So we give our, I mean, we give our coaches $500 a year for continuing education, but then like this weekend uh, is a sports performance summit that Elite FTS is having. So I'm taking care, that's a $300 ticket and all my coaches go for free. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't even count towards, you know, I'm bringing in, actually in August, we're gonna have a seminar with, with Dan John and, and you know, my coach gets awesome. to go to that. Awesome. We're gonna have a, you know, we're having all these clinics and we do all these things and, um, you know, we don't count that in their continuing education. That's just stuff we do as an organization. Their continuing education is for them to do stuff on their own. Mm. And so, you know, we close from one to three. Um, we also, so we give them $500 a year to compete in something. So we don't say what it has to be. I mean, we have some triathletes, we have some ultra marathoners, we have obviously power lifters. Um, but, you know, we give them money to compete and we close from one to three so that they can train during those times and and make sure that they're taking care of their own bodies mm. and then we get together uh on fridays and both locations train together as a staff right and so, right and i mean for me like it's you know that family and that one percent like that's one of the greatest things i love is when i walk out during that one to three and, and the staff's training together maybe one person who's better at the at you know some some speed work or something's working with another one of the coaches on on teaching them a little more about movement or one's working with teaching the other one a little more about about a certain lift and so to me that's the only way you know that's you know i talked about this but the program at the spot athletics is not about jl every one of my coaches contributes to the program to better it's about the again it's about the people it's about the family here that, that matters right awesome awesome treat each other with respect uh with okay last one jl last one big one if you could convey one message to the world and it's the most important world uh message rather if it's on a giant sign flying with a uh, attached to a plane all over the world what would that message be i would honestly i know these are tough breathe breathe I, th I think that's one of the most important things. I think as a society, we've essentially, we're, we're fish out of water. We're living in environments we weren't created to live in. 
and it's screwing up everyone's nervous systems. It's given our kids anxiety, ADHD, depression. And one of the best ways that we can combat all these things that we're constantly bombarded with every day is breathing, but mm. breathing properly. Mm. And I think that that's, I think I would just, if I had a sign that the world could see, it would just be breathe. Awesome. Joe, this has been incredible, man. I can't wait to get this out. Thank you very, very much for coming on and making time. This was, uh, I, ate a, I owe you uh, another steak dinner. I ate an hour and a half of your time. So thank you very much, brother. I really appreciate it. No, hey, man, the pleasure is all mine. I appreciate you having me on. And, uh, you know, I just want to thank you for your time because, uh, you know, as you say, you're, I know you're just as busy, brother. Please, man. We can't wait to have you back for RPR, too. All right, bro. Hey, take care, man, and thank you very much. I appreciate it. Have a great day, brother. Bye-bye. Bye.